play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Chef Graham Elliott. Graham owns a couple of restaurants. He's earned Michelin stars and James Beard nominations, and you probably know his face from TV. He's the guy who's always wearing the glasses with the white plastic frames. He's a judge on Top Chef and ABC's Family Food Fight, and he was a judge and host of MasterChef and MasterChef Junior for 10 seasons. But at his very core, Graham is still a cook, a very creative cook. We met back in August at Fayetteville Roots Festival, which is a food and music festival in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And his foie gras lollipops rolled in pop rocks were probably the highlight of the entire weekend. My friend Sterling, who I was at the event with, he is not a super, super food person. And he had to be convinced to try one. And he took one bite and his eyes just opened wide. And he said, this is genius. And I never use words like genius. So we gave his five-year-old son a foie gras lollipop with Pop Rocks, which he promptly licked off all the Pop Rocks, uh, gave the rest of it back, said it was disgusting, and was on his way. So sorry, Graham Elliott. You can't please everybody. Graham was also culinary director of Lollapalooza for nearly a decade. And one musician in particular fell in love with his lobster corn dogs. But he came up to me, he's like, you know, yeah, dude, this is like the first time I had lobster. And it was like, really? Cool. Well, great. In case you couldn't decipher Graham's spot-on celebrity impersonation, the lobster-loving celeb will be revealed later in the show. Also coming up, we're going to talk about the history of Scrapple with William Woyce Weaver, a man who signs his emails W3. And he's also the author of Country Scrapple, an American tradition. William is going to answer a lot of hard-hitting questions like... What is Scrapple? That's kind of the main question that we have for him. And we're going to talk to Mike Rasmussen, the owner of Painted Stave Distillery in Smyrna, Delaware. We make the world's only Scrapple-flavored vodka. But first, my conversation with Graham Elliott. Graham was a Navy brat. And growing up, his family moved around a lot. He went to three different high schools in three different states, for the record, Hawaii, Maryland, and Virginia. And he was just not a person who was into school. When Graham was 17, he got a job as a busboy in a local restaurant. I sing and play guitar. I love doing that. It's very creative. But I don't want a regular job. I want something where I can get paid to use my hands. Food has always been great. I love it. It's creative, a good outlet. So when he turned 18, he got his GED and he went straight to cooking school. Over the years, talking to chefs, reading articles about chefs, I hear the same story over and over again. They hated school. They dropped out of school. School wasn't for them. So I asked Graham why he thinks so many cooks have this in common. Because maybe you use a different part of your brain or you're really using a lot of your heart, which you don't get to do in school as much. At least I didn't. You know, the schools that I went to, the first two, Hawaii and Maryland, there was no money. There was no extracurricular anything. Mm. So it was like just school and people were not very nice. Like I try to start my own religion in high school. I was reading. Wait, what was your religion? Well, I was, I wore a shirt 
that said Monday, one that said Tuesday, when like so I didn't have to deal with fashion because I was so much deeper and smarter than everyone. <laughs> I was just so misunderstood. Yeah, I was that kid. So that kid does not become the captain of the football team with all the girls and like Mr. Cool. So I was very much my own person. But what I've seen is yeah, in a in a kitchen, and it's probably not just chefs, right? If you're in music or, you know, like Bill Gates dropping out of Harvard. Like if you're thinking a certain way, then you probably don't like being forced into a world that's black and white. Like here's your homework assignment. Like I remember in geometry class telling the teacher, I'm not going to do any of the homework, just so you know. I don't care what X is. I don't want to make shapes. Like I love things that are in nature, and I never find – a perfect rectangle in nature so I don't care about it and so I just failed the class so I think I literally got D's in almost everything my dad used to offer me money to get a, like if I got a B it was 50 bucks if I got an A it was 100 I always wanted to be in one of those families uh, but I never got one so that's probably oh. why it was like you know I'll give a thousand for it because he knew he's never gonna pay me but uh, even in cooking school it was brutal because I'm trying to do wasabi ice cream with tuna tartare and they want you to make vanilla. And I just couldn't. I hate reading recipes. And I graduated, I think, with like a 1.5 GPA. Like they just said, fine, just be done with school. Here's your thing. And then 10 years later on TV, and now I'm the distinguished alumni, like in their books right, and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. So I beat That's the so system. Funny. Like I get paid to do this, <laughs> which I do for free anyway. So. But it's interesting because I totally get it. And I understand why the artist's mind doesn't like school. But then you enter a kitchen and, you know, it could be for years that you are chopping, you know, pounds and pounds of right, celery into right. a brunoise. And so it's almost like in the military and you have this one task you have to do over and over again, mm-hmm. which seems almost like a school condition. Right. So that's why. I immediately got out of that, which is very liberating. The idea that you have a carrot, which is this beautiful cylindrical shape that somebody grew, put love into, harvested it. Like, why would I sit there and try to peel everything off of it and then turn it into a square where it looks like it came out of some machine? I don't like that. So I worked in a restaurant where, yeah, you're dicing, you're cooking for 5,000 people at a banquet tonight, just cooking a chicken breast. That's like working in, you know, the auto factory. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. This isn't an industry. This, you know, is a way of life. You give yourself over to this relationship with food and being able to, to, at 21, be in a kitchen where every day the menu change, right? Today it's roasted scallops with bacon vinaigrette and charred tomatoes. Tomorrow it's a tomato gazpacho with crispy bacon croutons and scallop ceviche. Like it's always moving and changing. And that's the way that I cook. It's always fun. Because if you told me I had to make this all the time the same way, I would do something else. This past summer was the first year since 2010 that Graham Elliott wasn't the culinary director for Lollapalooza in Chicago. Now, at this point, I think we're all used to having really good, diverse, modern food at baseball parks and music festivals. But remember back in the day, like not very long ago, when it was just all elephant ears and curly fries, which that wasn't bad. That was not a bad deal. (laughs) I love me a funnel cake. I know, me too. But now in Seattle, you know, you can go to the baseball game and have Din Tai Fung dumplings, which is just a totally different situation. But it was Graham who helped introduce the idea of serving elevated food at a music festival. And he invited popular restaurants to set up shop and sell their dishes as well. There's 24 little stands, and instead of just a hot dog and a burger, it's like, okay, chefs have the same mindset as these bands, right? They want to be cool. They want to push the envelope. We brought in a lot of the local restaurants and chefs to do these things. But then also what's fun is being able to cook for the headliners. 
There's yeah. bands that, you know, I've always looked up to or get to see. And now you're serving them and talking to them, which is pretty neat. You try not to like fanboy out, but you do. His biggest fanboy experience was meeting Eminem. Lollapalooza is divided into two. So there's two headliners. So I think it was the Strokes versus Eminem. And you get to choose, you know, which one you're going to go watch because they play at the same time. 100,000 people. I bet it was 90,000 watching Eminem. Lights go out and then the encore comes and it's lose yourself. And it's like junk, junk, junk. Yeah. Like the crowd is like you've never seen. Like it's incredible. And then afterwards, he comes off stage and you're serving him lobster corn dogs and mom spaghetti and all this other fun stuff did you did you make him mom spaghetti oh yeah yeah but he came up to me he's like you know yeah dude this is like the first time i had lobster and it was like really cool well great and then the second time he played lala like three years later he had rihanna come out and he introduced me to her and i got like the eminem bro hug and i'm like I'm pretending to be normal. And then I walk to the corner and text everyone. Like, and dude, Eminem, I'm like, yeah. You have to do the Wayne's world. We're mm-hmm. not worried. Yeah, he's totally worried. on my knee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so didn't um, Dave Grohl find out about the lobster corn dogs through <laughs> Eminem? Yeah, no. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. Eminem had told Dave Grohl about him. So you're like, oh my God, you guys all talk. This is so neat. Since that dish seems to be popular with celebrities, is that something that you're kind of known for now? Well, I mean, we serve like 20,000 every weekend, which is wild during Lala. And uh, I think because the hipsterization of food, Instagram, influencer, like having a big giant lobster corn dog on a stick, like it photos really well. Totally. And it's become... And the high and the low. Yeah. And it's become like the whole, that juxtaposition. It's a street food, but it's lobster. So... People love photoing and it's become like that dish that's kind of iconic with Lala. I went to Lollapalooza once. Did you ever go to Lollapalooza? No. I went back to. in 1996 uh, because Metallica was headlining and I feel like I, I wasn't ahead of my time. I was like, wait for my time. It was the mid 90s and I decided I'm going to get into heavy metal now, <laughs> a decade later. And so I was this little metalhead high schooler from the suburbs at a chain wallet. I wore the saggy old man grandpa corduroys from the Goodwill. And I'm pretty sure that the only thing we ate all day at uh, Lollapalooza was pot brownies. Like, we could have definitely used a lobster corn dog. Uh, we probably ate Taco Bell on the way home because that was all that we ate. So, uh, Graham, we need to time travel back together so I can eat some good food at Lollapalooza. Anyway, coming up after the break, Graham Elliott's last meal. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Palsbo, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P. Or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. 
If you like listening to Your Last Meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at CascadePBS.org or find a link in the show notes. We've been making your last meal for about three years now, a little more than three years. And I have learned that no matter how much money somebody has, no matter how much fancy food they've been exposed to, no matter how much fancy food they cook themselves as a chef, most people come back to something comforting. They come back to a memory, something they love to eat as a kid. Growing up, moving around every year and a half, two years, I never had that family experience of grandma making tomato sauce and things like that. But my mom's side of the family is from the Chesapeake Bay in Southern Maryland and going down and having soft shell crabs and scrapple and, you know, all these kind of things. I, that's the one that I look back on and is very homey to me. So mm-hmm. a scrapple sandwich on untoasted like Wonder Bread with American cheese. That's sticking to your molars. Yeah, roof your mouth like for a week. Yeah, it's so bad, but you know, that's what I would probably want last meal. What is Scrapple? It's, I say it's everything that's not good enough to go into hot dogs. It's like, it's like pork hair, tails, (laughs) you know. Some uh, mud between their toes. Exactly, like whipped into a block and Mm. then you slice it and fry it. Is Don't it, question it. It's what is just, the texture like? Is it gel- gelatinous? It's almost, imagine a meaty sausage flavored slice of polenta. Okay. It's that grainy kind of, I mean, it really, I think it's like whipped pork product with spices is what it says. Okay. Love it. We don't Amazing. know. <laughs> and so do you just put it on white bread with Yeah, so you, you take a slice, almost like spam, little flour, fry it up, fried egg on top, slice of American cheese, white bread. And your grandma would make that? My grandpa. Your yeah. grandpa. And then my mom. Okay. But my dad would get pissed and never be in the house when my mom cooked it because he hated the smell. Oh. Which made me like it even anything to upset dad. Yeah. Yeah. You're <laughs> such a rebel. I'm going to eat Scrabble <laughs> as I get a tattoo and shave my head because all three of those are going to upset you. They serve the Scrabble sandwich <laughs> in a tiny motorcycle jacket because yes, it's just such just a rebel. So, so punk. Huh. So where did your grandpa get that from? I think just from being down in Southern Maryland. It's like a... Maryland, Delaware, part of Pennsylvania food. Like you won't find it anywhere outside of that. Everyone had a block in their fridge. Like Mm -hmm. it was just breakfast. And did it come in a can? No, it comes in like literally a block uh, that looks like a a brick, but the weirdest gray color. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's just straight gray. (laughs) Yeah. And do you make this ever now? Uh, Whenever I can find it. Or if I'm in that area, I'll always order it. Graham Elliott wants a scrapple sandwich on white bread with American cheese that's going to stick to your molars and a fried egg for his last meal. The fried egg is inside the sandwich, by the way. I myself have never seen scrapple on a menu, but that is because I have never had breakfast in Delaware, Maryland, or in parts of Pennsylvania. It is a hyper-regional food and a breakfast staple, both on diner menus and at kitchen tables. And like Graham said, scrapple has a reputation for being made from the nasty bits, the scraps that were too funky even for a hot dog. 
there's a lot of urban mythology about what goes into Scrapple. It's actually rather healthy, to be honest with you. The urban myth is, you know, eyeballs, all kinds of weird things like that, which isn't true at all. That is William Woyce Weaver, my personal Scrapple scholar. He wrote the book Country Scrapple, an American Tradition. So there's a popular brand of Scrapple called, I think it's pronounced Rapa, R-A-P-A. It is made in Delaware. And on its website, it claims to be the world's number one Scrapple producer. So I read the ingredients on the back of the package online. Uh, it is pork stock, pork, pork skins, cornmeal, wheat flour, pork hearts, pork liver, pork tongue, salt, and spices. The commercial Scrapple that's made today has a lot of different body parts in it. Let's put it that way. William prefers to buy his Scrapple from local butchers. He says they start by boiling down the pork bones to make a broth, and they use the bits of meat that come off of those bones. If that's not enough meat, I would add a little more ground pork. If you like the taste of pork liver, then you can add pork liver. I always like to add pork liver. If you cook it a long time, it'll get thick uh, like porridge, and then you add your cornmeal and buckwheat. The, The herbs, some are savory, marjoram, sage. Those are the three classics then, and of course, salt. You boil it to death, really, for a couple of hours until super thick, and then pour that into pans, and there you go. And once you put it in the pan, do you put it in the fridge or steam it or bake it? Let it cool and set so that it becomes stiff like a pudding. Put Then put it in the refrigerator and let it cool. Then you cut it into slices and fry it. There is a strong debate about how thick of a slice you should cut of Scrapple. That's Mike Rasmussen. He is co-owner and head distiller of the Painted Stave Distillery in Smyrna, Delaware. So if you would cut a really thin slice of this, quarter inch slice, it almost becomes a little bit crispy when it's cooked all the way through versus folks who think that this should really be sliced up in that more like three quarters of an inch, maybe even a little bit thicker and really just fried on the outside so that it's more warmed through and you have a softer, mushier consistency in the middle. And and this is a serious debate. How do you like yours? I tend to prefer mine on the thinner side and cooked all the way through. I tend to eat it on like a scrapple egg and cheese sandwich. The mushier, thicker version just doesn't work well for how I, I enjoy it. But, you know, if, if you're at somebody's house for breakfast and they cook scrapple the way they like it, that's how you eat it. So would it be limited to diners or would this be at any restaurant, no matter how nice it is? It will go from the lowest to the highest. You'll find it in the Quickie Mart, the grocery stores around here. From there, all the way up to the gold ballroom of the Hotel DuPont, the fanciest you know restaurant that you're going to find in Delaware. And they make an amazing Scrapple. Scrapple actually has a very long history. The word Scrapple itself comes from Schrappel, that's Northwest German dialect for a, a hoe, a, a grubbing hoe. Its original name, uh, Schrappelkirk, hoe cake, in very primitive settlement conditions, people didn't have a lot of equipment, cooking equipment, so they often used this large hoe, which is a very wide uh, blade, to cook things on and over hot coals, and that's how they cooked the Scrapple in medieval Germany, which is where that word comes from. He says Scrapple arrived in Pennsylvania from Westphalia. 
in the northern Rhineland region of Germany. There were a group of families who were German Quakers who came to Pennsylvania in the late, yeah, late 1600s, and they brought with them the, this custom of making scrapple. It was a very practical dish because you could make it in the winter and you could store it in crocks. And according to his research, scrapple originated in medieval times. That is so old. And I'm not talking about that place in Los Angeles my mom took me to in seventh grade where we got to eat turkey legs with our hands. That was cool, too. But this is this is the other medieval times. He says it was probably associated with a Celtic cult or at least religious symbolism. You have to realize that the pig held all sorts of symbolic meanings to the ancient people in the Rhineland. So there was probably an association with uh, butchering this pig, which was in Celtic culture. It was the black sow that swallowed the sun, um, which caused winter. So if you butcher the sow and take out the stomach and make pot pudding from that, I mean, you're, you're going to free the sun up to do another year of its work. So there's probably a religious connection to that. But nowadays, it's just a bunch of honest East Coast people enjoying their slabs of thin or thick-cut pork mush in sandwiches, next to eggs, and in their Bloody Marys. Yes, in their Bloody Marys. When we come back, we're going to talk with the Delaware distillery that makes a Scrapple vodka. And lots more from Graham Elliott. earlier, Scrapple is a part of the food fabric of several northeastern states. And over at Painted Stave Distillery in Smyrna, Delaware, their off-the-hoof Scrapple Vodka is one of their top-selling products. Here again is co-owner and head distiller Mike Rasmussen. So how do you turn a bunch of organ meat, cornmeal, and sage into a fine spirit? How do you make your Scrapple Vodka? So the, the idea for this actually came from uh, a long car ride. My business partner and I were heading back from Kentucky. We'd been out drinking for a week or so doing some research and um, we're joking around about what was the most Delaware thing we could make. And Scrapple Vodka was high on our list of, of odd things that we could tell people, but we didn't really intend on making it. And then one day we decided... I think, you know, enough people had sort of reacted positively to the idea that we're like, all right, it's fine. Let's just try and see what would happen, thinking it was going to turn out horrible. And so we looked up and we found recipes for how would you go about making Scrapple. We went to the uh, the store with a shopping list for sage and black pepper and apples and bay leaf and nutmeg, uh, and then picked up just a, a pound of Scrapple and brought it back and we put it all in the still um, and just sort of sat back and looked to see what would come out. You know, what goes in is it's an oily sort of mess. But through distillation, what you really do is capture the most aromatic compounds. Scrapple can be pretty fatty, um, but fats are lipids. They're big, heavy molecules that aren't going to travel easily through distillation. So what came through on the other side is this really interesting, savory vodka. A lot of sage, a lot of black pepper, but there is this little meatiness um, that comes through as well. And then, you know, having a little tasting bar, we took it out front. We let people try it and 
people's reaction was really positive. So we were just like, well, there's something wrong with these people. Let's find some other ones. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The most popular vehicle for the off the hoof vodka is a Bloody Mary. Besides the Bloody Mary, what are the best cocktails to make with Scrapple vodka? I make what we call a Scrapple driver, the off the hoof Scrapple vodka with orange juice and a splash of pineapple juice. That tends to be the way that I enjoy it. But actually on our fall menu at the distillery here, we have a, uh, we call it a spiced apple driver, which is um, spiced apple cider, the off the hoof and a simple syrup made with um, maple syrup. It was one of our most popular cocktails last year. So we had to bring it back for our fall menu this year. That makes sense. It's kind of like pork chops and applesauce. Yeah, absolutely. It plays nicely in ways that we didn't really expect it to. Are we are we all scrappled out now? Are you done hearing about pork mushed up and fried into a patty? Me too. Let's get back to my conversation with Graham Elliott. So you got to cook President Obama's 49th birthday yeah. dinner, which is just like, whoa. Yeah, you want to talk rock star celebrity. Yeah. I mean, dude walks in the guy. room and just struts and <laughs> everybody. I don't I mean, you could be the biggest Trump supporter, Obama, but you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah. So what did you make, first of all? So we did uh, a white tuna sashimi with whipped avocado, plantain chips and passion fruit. He lived in Hawaii. I lived in Hawaii. I thought he would like that. Um, a corn bisque where it came with uh, like some stewed red peppers and a cilantro marshmallow and then you pour it at the oh. table and it kind of dissolves and did that and he had a great time a lot of politicians will order like well done steak with ketchup right and so he clearly was not he was a foodie dude he had everyone in the kitchen which our kitchens like the UN is people from every nation and you know had every single person come up and like get around him to do this photo and just really, really cool. That is guy. cool. Was yeah. it at your restaurant? Yeah. Oh, okay. and then That's everyone in the dining room saying happy birthday to him. Like it was oh just gone. It was really neat. Did did everybody do those extra parts where you're like, how old are you yeah. now? No, there wasn't any of that. <laughs> <laughs> we love free health care. Please keep oh doing God. what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bob Care's cool too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're a musician yourself. Yes. Um, you like a music. I like I make the music. You like the music. <laughs> it's good. Um, so talk about music in the kitchen. What do you like to listen yes. to and how does it work in your kitchen? So the first person that gets to the kitchen gets to be the DJ like while we prep. So it's like, that's a good incentive to get there early because you can get stuck listening to a lot of bad stuff. Yes. But what's bad stuff to you? For me, it's like the Grateful Dead and stuff like that. I'm just not my deal. I I like the philosophy of like, we're mixing it up and jamming, but I don't want to hear like a four hour solo. There's a reason that you have the top down and listen to like two and a half minute songs from the Beach Boys and the Beatles. Like yeah. those are great and yeah. they keep you going. But also love like the Misfits and the Smiths and, you know, things, a lot of 80s pop. Oh, so I just have to ask you about your glasses. Yeah. So you started wearing them because you like them and now do you feel like you have to keep Absolutely. wearing them? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So I, I always say like anything for attention, right? Like I look at Elton John and Prince and these guys like Michael Jackson and it's not in a weird, ironic way. Like the fact that you can wear crushed purple velvet jacket or sequin, you know, socks with your black shoe. I, I wear that stuff. I think it's amazing. And I just love the energy and I feel better about myself. And yeah. It's great. So I, when I first filmed, I had all these different glasses. I had white and blue and orange and whatever. And then when they did season two, they said, okay, the, the glasses are kind of distracting. Like just pick one. And I thought, okay, well, I guess white 
goes with everything. It wasn't even like, oh, it stands out. So it was like, okay, this, this is a little more neutral. And then you walk in the airport and 10 people come up and want a picture because they're like, yeah. you know what? I noticed you because of the glass. Like, that's the first thing they say. Yeah. Followed by, is Gordon really like that? Those are the two questions you get. So if I take them off or if I wear a hat and walk around, no one oh, would know me. It's like Clark Kent. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, totally. And that was Graham Elliott's last meal. Go to GrahamElliott.com. There's only one T at the end of his Elliott to find links to his TV shows and to his restaurants. Thanks to William Woise Weaver for making me enunciate his name like that. He is the author of 18 books, including Country Scrapple, an American tradition. Actually, he told me it is out of print. That many people wanted to read it. Uh, But don't worry, he's writing a new book about pickles right now. Can I tell you, this is fast. As somebody who grew up in New Jersey and had Scrapple on breakfast menus my whole life. Oh, was it like that in Jersey, too? uh, Yes. I've learned more about Scrapple today than I've ever known my whole life. Well, good, because uh, WWW's book is no longer available, so this is the only place where you can learn. Thanks to Mike Rasmussen and Painted Stave Distillery in Smyrna, Delaware. I keep saying it because I really like saying Smyrna. It's fun. If you happen to be in that part of the world, stop by the distillery, try a little bit of that off-the-hoof scrapel vape coat. (laughs) You know what? I'm not editing that. You guys know what I meant to say. I'm not your monkey. Your Last Meal is produced by Laura Scott and me, recorded with Aaron Mason, and original music by Prom Queen. Make sure you are A, subscribed to the show, B, make sure you leave us a nice review, not a mean one. Nobody wants your mean review. And make sure you follow along on Instagram, Your Last Meal Podcast. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Ready when you are. I'm ready. Seemingly, I'm seemingly ready. Seems like I'm ready. Are you ready, Shelley? Ready, Shelley. Ready, Shelley. <laughs> That's Mike Rasmussen. He is cone o- cone owner. Try it once, pronouncing it hoof. Like hoof? Roof. Oh, off the hoof. Hoof. Mm-hmm. I thought it was supposed to be off the hook. Off the hoof. Because what's off the roof? I don't know. Isn't that a phrase? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. This party's off the roof. <laughs> I'll do it again, though. No, that's fine. I'll do it again. I'll do it. I'm I'm doing it again.